Welcome back to Sea to Shining Sea, a podcast on the American Discovery Trail and walking coast to coast across the USA. It's episode six. I'm Dave Whitson. Today we're off to the state that's round on both sides and high in the middle, Ohio. Perhaps you know it for its centers of greatness. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, the NFL Hall of Fame in Canton, Cedar Point for roller coasters. Perhaps you know it for its center of failure and misery, the Cleveland Browns. Regardless, none of that is anywhere close to the American Discovery Trail as it passes through the state. On the contrary, the ADT winds through the southern half of Ohio, often overlapping with the state's preeminent footpath, the Buckeye Trail. And if, like me, you're unfamiliar with Ohio as an outdoor lover's paradise, stay tuned. You're about to have your eyes opened very wide. This episode features three guests. The first two speak to the ADT's approach through Ohio. Don Burrell is the ADT's state coordinator for Ohio. Based in Cincinnati on the far western section of the route, he offers insight into the broad brushstrokes of the ADT and some key highlights to target. To get more specific into the trail, I then speak with Byron Guy, who supervises the Old Man's Cave section of the Buckeye Trail. If he doesn't get you psyched up to board a plane immediately for Ohio, you might have a hearing problem. Finally, we take a detour from the ADT, veering south a bit towards the Ohio River to Ripley, Ohio. One of the most striking things to me in my initial passage through Cincinnati was Freedom House. Having been largely unfamiliar with the legacy of the Underground Railroad in Ohio, I wanted to explore that more deeply, first on this podcast and then in my upcoming walk. That brought me to Betty Campbell, coordinator of the Rankin House in Ripley, part of a cluster of Underground Railroad sites in that part of the state. While most walkers on the ADT won't get there, though it looks like a very manageable detour, that history is relevant to the state as a whole and is worth exploring in greater detail in Cincinnati at Freedom House. It's a packed, fast-moving episode with Don Burrell on the ADT, Byron Guy on the Buckeye Trail, and Betty Campbell on the Underground Railroad. Hope you enjoy. Don Burrell is the state coordinator for the American Discovery Trail in Ohio and Kentucky. I started our conversation by asking Don about how he got involved with the ADT. Well, I'm I'm actually the third coordinator for Ohio and Kentucky, but it goes back to when the American Discovery Trail crew came through looking for their routes through Ohio. Prior to that time, there was a committee called the Southwest Ohio Trails Association Mm -hmm. that had organized around actually in response to the Little Miami Trail that was established on the east side of Cincinnati. That was such a popular trail that there was a lot of demand for a similar trail on the west side. And the county park department came through several years later and established a loop trail in one of their county parks on the west side. And the American Discovery Trail does go through that park. This was happening back, I guess, around 1991 or 92, And it was also somewhat meaningful to me as I had just finished my cross-country bicycle trip in 1991. Okay. So I was a little enthusiastic about the idea of developing a coast-to-coast route. This one is mainly for hiking. However, a lot of people do bicycle the American Discovery Trail as well. Mm -hmm. That is kind of another issue as far as my role as state coordinator. I'm still a cyclist. More so than hiking. I've not hiked much at all as far as traveling by foot. But that's how I got involved. At the time, Paul Daniel was our first coordinator. He was a professor at Miami University and a member of Buckeye Trail Association and a number of other hiking organizations. He was active in it, and I guess, until he retired from Miami University. Second was Pat Hayes, who lived in the area. He was also a Buckeye Trail Association member. And he took over, and then I took over in in 2012 when Pat moved out of the region. So that's kind of the background about how I got involved with it. That's great. My exposure to Ohio has been pretty limited. I passed through Cleveland and Canton once a number of years ago, and then I was in Cincinnati in August to start walking the American Discovery Trail along the southern route. So I had one day in Ohio. So I don't know too much about the state, and I'm sure that's true for a number of other Americans. Given your experience, what are 
some things that every American should know about your state, Ohio? Well, particularly as far as American Discovery Trail route goes, it, it does follow the Buckeye Trail for the southern part of the loop. Climate is moderate, can be very humid. That can be an issue. There's a variety of topography. The southeastern part of Ohio is, is fairly rugged. In fact, there's an area called the, the Little Appalachians because of the, the topography there. And, and the ADT goes through that area. So there's a fair amount of farmland, particularly once you get more to central Ohio and, and the western Ohio part. Before you get to Cincinnati, it's going to be mostly farmland. And again, in eastern Kentucky, there's a fair amount of coal mining history involved. There's not too much mining left, but there was a lot of strip mining in that area. And there's a, a number of communities are trying to promote the, some interest in that history. And that's probably one of the things you can find if you, if you poke around some of the towns that you hike through. Hmm. Is there anything else that stands out to you as you look at the trajectory of the American Discovery Trail through Ohio in terms of highlights and things that walkers should keep an eye out for? Yeah, there's a number of attractions, I think, along the route. One of the nicest attractions, I think, is the Hocking Hills area, Hocking Hills State Park. And actually, there are a, a number of very dramatic geologic features in that area. That's in pretty much the central part of the state. West of that, there's a Serpent Mound, which is an Indian relic. Mm-hmm. That one is in Adams County, and that's close to the trail and very much worth taking a look at. There's a couple of state parks you go through besides Hocking Hills. There's East Fork State Park in Claremont County, and that has a campground in it. That's in Williamsburg in Claremont County. So you go through the town, and, and then if you're going east to west, you hike up the hill into the East Fork State Park on a trail. Mm. And they built a trail up into the park from Williamsburg. And I guess I should point out, the trail is part of the bike route. There's a number of sections of the Buckeye Trail and the American Discovery Trail that are hikeable but not bikeable. And alternative routes, on-road routes, are provided for those sections. And that comes to mind because when I mentioned East Fork State Park, that has a loop hiking trail through it that the American Discovery Trail follows. And so you've got a choice there of taking either that loop route around the lake or from Williamsburg following the trail up into uh, East Fork State Park. I guess another highlight is where the trail splits to the north-south routes. That's west of Cincinnati, very near the Indiana border in Elizabethtown. And there is a sign there that designates that split, the, the trailhead there. Yeah. Those are some of the highlights. Before you come into the city of Cincinnati, you'll hike through a planned community called Marymount, which is a, has sort of an old English flair to it. It's a very attractive area, and of course it has businesses and support services available there, and of course Cincinnati itself. Anderson Ferry, I think, is also a highlight. It's one of the things we've made an effort to incorporate into the trail, and I think it's probably a memorable feature for people who have hiked it. Yeah, I enjoyed that little trip back across the river. Can you talk a little bit more about that decision? Because I thought it was interesting at the time that the route pops over into Kentucky for a little while, and then comes back over along the ferry. What's the thinking there? The idea was to add another state. <laughs> and I think that's turned out to be a popular decision. You can actually hike in all three states in one day, if you got a pretty good base. But if you left Cincinnati, you could go through. It's only about eight miles in Kentucky to the ferry, and then probably another 12 miles to, well, it's more than 12 miles to Elizabethtown. But it can be done. Yeah, that was my first day going Cincinnati to Lawrenceville, Indiana. So, you did do all three states? I did the three and I enjoyed it. Very good. <laughs> yeah. And Anderson Ferry, you're crossing the Ohio River twice. Downtown, you're on the Roebling Suspension Bridge, which is a historic structure. I think it was the first river crossing in Cincinnati back in the 1860s. For what it's worth, it was a model for the Brooklyn Bridge in New York being a suspension bridge. And the Anderson Ferry, I think, is probably over 200 years. The hiker's fare for that is 50 cents. If you're biking, <laughs> it costs a dollar. But I think the ferry itself is quite a nice feature. Yeah. What would you advise people to watch out for in Cincinnati? You know, most of the walk through Ohio is very, very rural. So that arrival in Cincinnati into a, a large city of that size is quite momentous. What advice would you offer walkers for how they spend their time there? As I mentioned, you'll be coming through Marymount, 
And by the way, you're going to be on city streets for pretty much the whole time with sidewalks. You'll come into Hyde Park Square, which is a popular neighborhood, and it's a number of businesses. It's an old-fashioned kind of area, but that's attractive. You'll be coming eventually into Eden Park, and Eden Park has a number of features itself. The conservatory greenhouse, the trail goes down steps right behind the greenhouse. The Cincinnati Art Museum is in Eden Park, and there are a number of river views from the hillside. Yeah, it's a really nice downtown, and I was struck by how nicely developed the whole riverfront area is. Yeah, you'll be coming in from Eden Park into the Smale Riverfront Park and Sawyer Point Park, and all of these are along the riverfront. There's a serpentine wall there. It kind of waves back and forth along the river. And at the western end of that is a bronze plaque about the American Discovery Trail that mentions the distance to Delaware and to California from that point. And the Southwest Ohio Trails Association was responsible for placing that there. Hmm. In that same area is the Great American Ballpark, which is the baseball field, and the Paul Brown Stadium for football. There's the Freedom Center Museum about the slavery and black history. If you go up into town around 5th Street, you'll find Fountain Square, which is pretty much the center of downtown Cincinnati and a popular gathering place. Also, you'll be going by the Purple People Bridge, which is a pedestrian-only crossing, pedestrian bicyclists, no automobiles. It actually is a double bridge because there's a railroad section next to it, next to the highway section. That's worth taking a look at. However, it is not the official ADD crossing of the Ohio River. You have to go a little bit further down until you get to the Roebling Suspension Bridge. I guess if you did some research as you're coming in, you'd find a number of other attractions. There are a lot of breweries. You'll be going by a couple of them <laughs> along the trail. That seems to be a very popular thing, I guess, all around the country now. <laughs> yeah, I hear breweries get brought up as a destination in many of the places along the ADT. Yes, uh, right. Is there anything that you would highlight as being particularly distinct to Ohio? For example, I've heard of Skyline Chili, and I don't really understand what's distinct about that compared to other chilies. So can you can you explain that one to me? Well, yeah, that is sort of an institution in Cincinnati, Skyline. And there, there are two predominant brands and chains, Skyline and Gold Star, the main thing, I guess, about the Cincinnati chili is it's served on top of spaghetti. Then you can add several toppings. Normally, you would add cheese to that, cheddar cheese. You can also add onions and beans to it. And again, both Skyline and Gold Star serve it similarly. And you probably pass a couple of those, either of those restaurants along the trail. There's a popular ice cream chain called Graders, which is uh, local, and they make their ice cream here. I know there's one greater store in Marymount. I think there's one also in Hyde Park Square. La Rosa's Pizza is a popular local brand. You'll see several of those around. And I mentioned that breweries are common. The Moorline House is a brewery downtown right on the uh, Ohio River, right on the 2nd Street, across the street from the ballpark. Mm -hmm. If you are cycling, there are a number of bike shops along the way. 50 West is at the Little Miami Trail probably the end of the Little Miami Trail, because you'll be coming in on that. And then there's another one in Fairfax, which is a little bit off the trail, but you are hiking through Fairfax. And if you are downtown in the area, there's one in Newport, Reasers Cycling in Newport. And actually, if you're taking the northern route, there's a bike shop in Oxford, bike-wise that's up in Oxford. So there are a number of resources there for cycling. While Don and I focused the bulk of our conversation on Western Ohio, we'll next shift to the eastern half of the state, where Byron Guy picks up the thread. Byron is the supervisor of the Old Man's Cave portion of the Buckeye Trail, so I lobbed him a softball to get things started. What exactly is the Buckeye Trail? The Buckeye Trail is a 1,400-plus mile loop that's all in the state of Ohio. It's the longest loop trail in the Western Hemisphere inside of one state. It began in 1958 with... Emma Grandma Gatewood having a vision to be able to have a linear trail in Ohio, just as the Appalachian Trail. She was the first female solo through hiker on the Appalachian Trail. She did it when she was 67 years old. <laughs> she was kind of a pioneer of lightweight backpacking. And so in 1959, the Articles of Incorporation were written and the Buckeye Trail Association was founded as a 501c3, a not-for-profit organization. Mm-hmm. 
And the first four blazes were painted actually in my section in Hockey Hills, Ohio. From there, it's grown up the western side of the state, connecting the Little Miami River National Recreational Trail to Defiance and Napoleon, kind of the Maumee River watershed where the canals came up and down the western side of Ohio. And then from there, we crossed over to eastern Ohio just to connect it to make it a loop. And we ended up in Cuyahoga Valley National Park, which is the only national park in the state of Ohio. We ended up in Wayne National Forest, which is the only national forest in the state of Ohio, and a couple other neat places in between I can get to later. But for the majority, you know, it's a way to connect Ohio. We go through 49 out of the 88 counties in Ohio. We go through very neat towns. We go through very unusual geological areas, extraordinary anthropological areas, specifically where the ADT is concurrent with the Buckeye Trail and also the North Country National Scenic Trail. So not only is it the longest loop trail, it's also the longest national scenic trail and the North Country Trail, and it's also the longest path in America, which is the American Discovery Trail. So you kind of get to run through a gamut here in Ohio. <laughs> it's amazing just learning that much about it from you. It seems like one of the best-kept secrets in America that more people don't talk about the Buckeye Trail as a great outdoor walk. A lot of people have the dream of being in the mountains and you know, having unheralded views of the Appalachian Mountain Basins. And it's not so much that it had started out like that. And over time, it's continuously grown off trail where it started out a lot on road. But now a lot of the people that are hiking are finding that the road hikes are actually kind of nice. <laughs> My brother and I hiked the leg from Fester Hill to Parkersburg, West Virginia. It's 39 miles. We have our little challenges, and we went out and did it in one day. We were on road for 39 miles and never saw more than a dozen cars. Yeah. So where it is, it's very remote as far as being on road, but people just can't comprehend that a trail can be how many different multi-surfaces. And it's not anything against those people that want to hike linear trail like that, but sometimes it's nice to get out of the woods and to crane your neck and not have to deal with spider webs. <laughs> yes. Big, and not only that, it gives you the opportunity to get into some of the new areas in Ohio. For instance, Vincent, Ohio, which is basically a halfway point between Belpre, Ohio, and Chester Hill, is the home of the Vincent Rifle, one of the most famous rifles in the world to help change and shape wars. So that's kind of one of the things that you'll discover on the American Discovery Trail. Can I ask a really stupid question? Sure. What's a Buckeye? I've heard Buckeye for years, you know, associated with Ohio State football, but it occurs to me now in this moment, I don't have the slightest clue what it is. A Buckeye is the fruit of a Buckeye tree. It's a nut. Okay. A lot of people call it a useless nut because it really doesn't have any purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's not edible. It's not something we should be feeding on along the walk. No, they make great purposes to wear on Saturday football games. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Well, now I've learned something very important today, I think. What's the ideal time of year to be walking on the Buckeye Trail? Depending on your comfort level, some people don't mind walking in the winter and late fall, early winter. We're getting towards the end of the growing season. And Southeast Ohio, especially the Hocking Hills region, is renowned for its fall foliage. So that can be a really interesting time to hike. Most people tend to stay away from the spring rains in late winter, early spring, that being March and April. Most people tend to like to get out on the trail in May and June before the heavy growth. And it's also sometimes a little bit drier. We tend to have really bad, hot, late summers, specifically August and September. And the bugs also come out at that point in time. So it all really just depends on your comfort factor of when you want to hike, how you want to hike, what you want to see, and how you want to take Ohio in. Gotcha. I am always interested in going chunk by chunk along the American Discovery Trail along these routes and hearing some insights about those different sections. But one of the things I noticed when I was preparing for this is that over the course of the hundreds and hundreds of miles that the Buckeye Trail overlaps with the American Discovery Trail, or perhaps I should say that the other way, the ADT overlaps with the Buckeye Trail, the section points are not towns or maybe prominent landmarks, they're road crossings, they're intersections. It seems like it's harder to distinguish or break this up into sections, which might speak to just how remote this section of Ohio is. In your mind, is it possible to break this up into like clear, distinct sections? Oh, for sure. The Buckeye Trail itself, since it's over 1,400 miles long, is broken down into 26 different sections. Okay. So 
if you were to be hiking from, say, east to west, which most people do, they like to start at Cape Hunt Open in Delaware because they can typically get through Colorado before the early snowfall hits. And then it's not hard to get up through Northern California to San Francisco by late fall, early winter. Mm-hmm. But when you come onto the trail, you actually go, you start in the Stockport section. And then from there, you'll go to the New Straitsville sections, to the Old Man's Cave section, the Scioto Trail, Sinking Springs, Shawnee, West Union, Williamsburg, and then Loveland. So it is broken down into sections. There's nine section maps that we have that will give you extreme detail on everything you're going to do <laughs> from what roads you're going to be walking on, how long, where to get water, food, post offices, convenience stores, camping, parking, electric it's all available for you right there on our trail maps. They're extremely up-to-date. If you order a map, it will be the most recent map available, and it will highlight everything that you're getting ready to walk through. Jim Sprague, who was one of our original state trail coordinators, he goes through and actually does a lot of descriptive narrative of what you're going to be seeing as far as take Hocking Hills, for example. So Ohio started at the equator under an ocean. And slowly but surely, we ended up into a tide on a beach, and we have sandstone in southeastern Ohio because of the bedrock deposit. And when the last glacier period came through with Wisconsinian Ice Age, roughly 15 to 16,000 years ago now, when that glacier melted, it carved all of the gorges and created the waterfalls. And so you're walking through a very, very great historical area in Ohio. And then there's Serpent Mound down in the Sinking Springs section, which is the largest mound effigy from the Adena Hopewell Indians. It's shaped like a serpent. They don't know if it's swallowing an egg, if it's swallowing the sun, because the serpent specifically lines up with each equinox and solstice, sunrise and sunset. It also sits on the precipice of the crater impact that happened in Ohio. Hmm. I couldn't even tell you how long that was ago, but (laughs) it, it, it It's a very unique place. Fort Hill, right before you get to Serpent Mound, is an enclosed walled hill. And some people would think of it as a fort, but typically the Adena and Hopewell weren't fighters. So uh, it was more of a ceremonial area, but it's geologically centered at the place that four major glaciated plateaus met in Ohio. Hmm. As you walk around the hill on the ADT and the Buckeye Trail, you're actually walking through completely different geological zones. At one point, you could be seeing shale, limestone, clay, dolomite, granite, sandstone. It goes on and on. It's absolutely incredible. That sounds awesome. It's been one of the hardest places for me to wrap my mind around as I think about the trip, just because it is so rural and it can be hard to picture when you don't have quite as many of those landmarks. But it's clear that there are a number of significant state parks, nature preserves, state forests, and memorials along the way. It's just a rich outdoors experience. Yeah, very much so. People are absolutely amazed. I got to say, Pete and Joyce Cottrell, first and foremost, they hiked the ADT shortly after Ken and Marsha Powers did. Mm -hmm. And they loved Ohio so much, they came back and hiked the Buckeye Trail. The whole thing? The whole thing. They did it for our 50th anniversary 10 years ago. My brother and I were very fortunate enough to get to know them personally and perform trail magic for them and all sorts of fun stuff. Jerry and the late Karen Bowerman, they came through on the American Discovery Trail. Karen was so impressed with the Buckeye Trail and the hospitality that she received in Ohio that she actually cried when she had to leave. Hmm. (laughs) She was not happy. She wasn't going to be following Blue Blazes anymore. (laughs) So a lot of people don't think of Ohio like that. It's flat. It's cornfields. It's cows. It's what it is. But the diversity in southeastern Ohio and southern Ohio that the hiker gets to traverse is out of this world. I, it's, I consider it second to none to a lot of the trail hikes that people will get to do in most of America. As I've read about it, the place that stands out is where you happen to be based, Hawking Hills, Old Man's Cave. Could you tell me about it? It was Edna Grandma Gatewood's favorite place in all of Ohio. It's home to the actual Emma Grandma Gatewood National Recreational Trail. Some of the most incredible rock features anywhere east of the Mississippi, up to and including the largest natural rock shelter east of the Mississippi, which is Ash Cave. And great little historical fact about Ash Cave is the reason it was called Ash Cave was there was a large entrenchment. Uh, It was about 150 feet long and about three feet wide. And it was a tribal council fire for the local tribes that inhabited the area, the Shawnee, the Delaware, 
so on and so forth as far as Indians are concerned. And a lot of the original chiefs that most people learn throughout history, Chief Tecumseh, Chief Leatherlips, Chief Pontiac, mm-hmm. they would all meet in this cave, and Chief Logan, and they would hold tribal council in this cave. And so it was a very, very interesting place. When the first settlers came into Ohio and found this, there is a rock it sits at the mouth of the cave, and it's known as Pulpit Rock. And when you're standing on the rock and you're talking in a normal voice, everybody in the entire cave can hear you. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing, and it's it's a wonderful waterfall. That's one of the fun places to hike in the winter. We call them beehives, where the conical shape from the water splash creates at the base of a waterfall during freezing temperatures. It can reach upwards of 90 feet to 100 feet tall. Hmm. So very impressive. Cedar Falls, which got its name because the first settlers thought that they were cedar trees, not eastern hemlocks, which aren't really good for much of anything. So <laughs> that didn't happen. It's by far the largest volume of water of any waterfall in the state of Ohio. Absolutely incredible after spring rains. Very unique and interesting place. And then so on and so forth up the gorge. You know, you get to Lower Falls, which is absolutely spectacular. The basin at the base of the gorge, when you finally get to the lower gorge level where Old Man's Creek goes out to the confluence with Queer Creek, it's absolutely spectacular. And then you climb up into Old Man's Cave, which was actually inhabited by an old man. His name was Richard Rowe. He was given permission by the Shawnee Indians to live in the cave. You know, not too many white people inhabited Southeast Ohio at that point in time. So he got to live there. And one frozen winter, as lore goes, he and his hound dogs were down on the pool of Old Man's Cave Falls. And he was trying to break the ice open with the butt of his rifle. And it went off and it killed him. Oh, my God. So the spooky factor is sometimes at nights you can still hear his hound dogs bailing because their owner had passed away there at Old Man's Cave. And nobody knows where he's buried. There's lots of interesting places, you know, that people talk about that they have their own ideas and stuff like that. But you also have Devil's Bathtub, (laughs) which is a really neat feature. It was one of those things where people would say, you know, that that hole leads straight to Hades. It's one of the neat features of the park because it's a fall that goes into an actual tub basin before it fills up and then goes into another falls. And the turbulence inside of it from the quartz, which is a harder rock mineral coming down and flowing into the bathtub, it's constantly churning in there and it constantly gets deeper and deeper and deeper every year. So it's still growing and you actually can't get out of it if you fall in. <laughs> they, have to, they have to come perform rescues on people that fall in it uh, quite regularly sometimes. So <laughs> not to be advised to get too close to the bridge to look over top of it. And then, of course, you get to Upper Falls, which is the most pictured waterfall in all the state of Ohio. It's got the Grandma Gatewood Archway Bridge over the top of it, very scenic. And you'll notice the further up north in the gorge you get, the shallower and shallower the cliff walls get because you're actually getting to the headwaters of where Old Man's Creek started carving down into what is now known as the gorge and where the glacial melt started that area. So really neat place to visit. And like I said, the views from some of the gorge overlook trails in the fall time are second to none to New England and upstate Michigan. Hmm. We have a very large tourism industry at Hocking Hills. It can host typically the Hocking Hills Tourism Association estimates numbers between one and a half to two million people a year. Hmm. And it's a free park. So that's one of the big draws to the area. So if you do hike through, I highly recommend coming in, getting a site at the campground and spending a day or two so that you can get up in the morning and actually hike down into the gorge when it's less crowded. We can see upwards of 35 to 40,000 people in the daytime there. That's good to know. Moving away from some of the natural areas, Again, it seems very rural following the Buckeye Trail through this section. Are there two or three particularly notable towns along the way that you think are worth spending some time in? Oh, for sure. Either of the little cities of the Black Diamonds that you do pass through, Shawnee, which is the headquarters of the Buckeye Trail Association. Okay. Definitely spend time in there at the Tecumseh Theater. It's a restored historical theater. It's actually the first place the Harlem Globetrotters played basketball in Ohio. <laughs> it, believe it or not, that was on the second floor. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they actually played on the floor in the theater. But it was an internal order of red men. And it was also where mining union labor became introduced into Eastern America in the Midwest. You know, before then, it was, you know, every man for himself. They could pay you any wage they wanted to. And it actually caused the miners revolting and starting a fire in the mines, which to this day still burn. On certain days, you can still see some of the vent pipes coming from the coal mines where they're still smoldering. 
and some of the old mine shafts. And so it's a great historical feature um, as far as that goes. Not to mention there's a great tea store there. It's a convenience store. Sorry, I talk like a through hiker too much sometimes and people know what I'm talking about. So yeah, it's, it's a great resupply point. Milford, Ohio is probably going to be one of the better cities that you do actually hike into and out of. It's known as the junction. There's 22,000 miles of hikeable, bikeable, and paddleable trail converge in Milford, Ohio. Hmm. So not only do you have the Little Miami Riverway, which can take you to the Ohio River, and then, of course, on down to the Mississippi, blah, blah, blah. You have all three trails that converge right there at that point before the North Country Trail goes north with the Buckeye Trail and where the American Discovery Trail actually leaves and goes to Eden Park. But as far as Milford goes, there is an outfitter. Roads, Rivers, and Trails is in downtown Milford, Ohio. You have microbreweries. You have farm-to-table eateries. You have historic inns, so on and so forth. I think my other favorite town to hike in Ohio, specifically on the Buckeye Trail, is Stockport. Okay. The historical mill, tavern, and inn sits and looks directly over top of a beautiful low-head dam and lock system on the Muskingum River, which is the longest navigable river in the state of Ohio. And you can still traverse it from Marietta, Ohio, all the way up north. In fact, we have a stern wheel and paddle wheel festival here in Ohio where they go up and down through the original lock system on the Muskingum River up to Zanesville. So it's, it's really neat. And of course, there's obviously plenty of room for resupply in that town. You don't get too close to Logan. You do, but you would have to turn left and actually hike into Logan into a couple spots. But Logan is a wonderful place for resupply, not to mention you're um, in the old man's cave section, so you're most likely going to run into my brother and I who are going to help you out. (laughs) But you've got Walmarts, every fast food place you can think of, Kroger's, Banks. If you need it, we can name it. We have it in Logan, Ohio, up to including a great Chinese buffet. Little known historical fact about Logan, Ohio, it's the home of the washboard. Oh. So we actually have a washboard festival in Logan, Ohio every year. (laughs) All right. And they still manufacture washboards at the washboard manufacturing facility. So you get to see some neat stuff like that. That's a great tidbit. I'm looking forward to it. And this has definitely gotten me a lot more excited about Ohio. Is there anything that you haven't brought up already? You know, if you were making a pitch to people to come hike in Ohio, check out the Buckeye Trail, the American Discovery Trail. What's the big pitch? What makes it really special walking in Ohio? The fact I grew up here, it's my home state. (laughs) The whole time the Buckeye Trail has been in existence, I've been alive. And he used to walk right past my house where I grew up in Mason, Ohio, and I didn't even know that. We used to hike all the time at Baroque State Park, which is a wonderful rest area along the trail. You know, they've got a lodge and beautiful single track hiking. It's one of the first places that you actually get to step back and enjoy some of the views you're going to see when you get to in Ohio. It, it's home. You know, I, I think that's what it is for us is it's home. And we take a lot of pride in making sure that the trail is ready for the hikers. I know the American Discovery Trail hikers are hiking nonstop now, basically. Stephen Ashworth is on trail right now. We just got him taken care of and wrapped up, and he's on his way into Cincinnati very shortly. But it's also the history of our trail. To think that, you know, a little lady that, you know, she, she was an abused wife of 11 children in Gallup Police, Ohio, and she read an article in a National Geographic magazine that talked about this Appalachian Trail. And one day she told her family she was going for a walk in the woods, and she went out and she walked in the woods all the way from <laughs> Mount Oglethorpe to Mount Katahdin, because at that point in time, it didn't even make it to Springer Mountain. It was still at Mount Oglethorpe in Georgia. And people clamored to get interviews with her along the trail. They were hearing about this grandma coming up the trail, and they wanted to interview her. And when she did her interview with a local paper in Virginia, she actually asked them to call her family and tell them not to worry about her because they were going to read the article. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of neat history that goes back with it, that. And I think that's one of the things of all of it. I think that's what we're most proud about the Buckeye Trail is its history. They took very, very good care of where they were going to walk in Ohio and and making the decisions to be here and to see this and not this. And the more you hike it, the more it makes sense. Along with that, as far as, you know, the trail concurrency goes between the North Country National Scenic Trail, American Discovery Trail, and the Buckeye Trail, Baroque, we celebrate her every year. My brother and I started the first and largest backpacking challenge in Ohio. It's known as the Emma Grandma Gatewood Solstice Hike. And this will be our 12th year in existence. We have a 20, 40, 60, and 80-mile backpacking challenge. (laughs) 
It is all off-road. It's a camp out that lasts for four days. We feed you. The whole time you're there, you get to go out and hike your challenge, and it's unsupported. You have to take care of yourself, but we have checkpoints out on the trail that we go out and check and take care of the folks to make sure everybody's doing all right. But we really just enjoy our trail and enjoy showing it off as much as we can. And the more ADT hikers we get who really like to blog and and write on trail (laughs) journals, the more people are starting to realize that, hey, there's this great little hidden jewel over there in Ohio that we need to go check out. IEC Pete and Joyce Cottrell, who wanted to come back and hike the whole entire Buckeye Trail once they were done with the ADT. So hopefully more people that hike the ADT want to come back to Ohio because they really enjoyed their time here. Yeah, that's great. You mentioned before maps and narratives that have been produced about the Buckeye Trail. Where can people find those? Our maps are for sale at the BTA shop at www.buckeyetrail.org. You'll find the link up in the top bar. And you're going to be speaking with the BTA shop owner. His name is Mark Heiss, and he's located out of Yellow Springs, Ohio. He will fill your order and get that shipped out to you, usually within the same day if he's at the shop. And that would be the ADT concurrency section. So you're looking for Stockport, New Straitsville, Old Man's Cave, Scioto Trail, Sinking Springs, Shawnee, West Union, Williamsburg, and Loveland. And that breaks the trail down into more manageable points. So you don't have to carry all the maps if you're going to be doing resupplies to Ohio. You can separate your maps out and have them in different resupply boxes if you're worried about weight. And then on top of that, we also have Avenza Maps and Gut Hook apps available for the full Buckeye Trail. So if you are coming into Chester Hill and you're turning left, you will load up the ADT concurrent sections on the Buckeye Trail. And you can follow your phone, your tablet, whatever you're carrying with you as long as your battery doesn't die. So (laughs) I I still can't push. Please carry the Buckeye Trail maps with you as much as humanly possible. There have been instances where we've had through hikers on the ADT get to an intersection where a driver had ran over a stop sign, and when they went to replace the stop signs, they moved the stop sign so the left-hand turn was wrong. (laughs) Sometimes the only place we can paint blazes or put ADT pregnant triangles is on the back of road signs. So yeah, carry either the gut hook or Avenza maps, carry the paper maps, but as long as you have either of them, you're going to get through the state pretty well. Perfect. Thank you, Byron. This has been perfect. I've really enjoyed hearing about Ohio from you. No, my pleasure. I appreciate it. Betty Campbell is the site manager of the Rankin House in Ripley, Ohio, one of the original stops on the Underground Railroad. Thanks for talking with me about the Rankin House, Betty. You're very welcome, Dave. I'm glad to have the chance to talk with you, and and let's start with your connection to this. What personally drew you to the work of historical preservation generally, and then particularly in support of the Underground Railroad and the Rankin House? I'm asked that question fairly often, and all I can say is that I grew up in Ripley and grew up around history and have my own personal family history. I'm a direct descendant of the first permanent settler here in Brown County, Ohio, who settled here in 1794. So history's always just been a part of my life. That's amazing. How would you distinguish life in Ripley, Ohio, given your deep connection to it? What is life like there? We're a small, very small Ohio River town, and we're very proud of our history and our connection with the Underground Railroad. We're fortunate enough that in Ripley, many of the homes, the buildings that were homes of other Underground Railroad conductors are still standing today. They're private homes, but they're still standing, and so we have a very strong 2020 connection to the Underground Railroad. Hmm. I was caught off guard when I walked through Cincinnati. I didn't know that they had the Freedom House, this huge, impressive structure devoted to the history of the Underground Railroad through the state. When I think about the history of slavery and the Underground Railroad in America, my mind doesn't typically go to Ohio. So, you know, I'm curious to learn more about this. Could we start with, in what ways was Ohio shaped or influenced by the institution of slavery? In Ripley, Ohio, and in the state of Ohio, Ripley is located on the Ohio River in one of the most southern points of the state, and we're bordered by the Ohio River and then the state of Kentucky. And Kentucky is a state that permitted slavery, and Ohio was the first 
site going north, and the goal for most fugitive slaves escaping was to reach Canada, get to another country where our laws don't apply. And Ohio was a free state. Our laws never permitted slavery to exist. And so it was sort of a place to catch your breath before you moved northward. Mm. So if someone who had escaped slavery made it into Ohio, was it safer at that point than it was in other places, or were they still in significant risk? Fugitive slaves were still at risk, even though they're in the state of Ohio, because, as I said, Ohio never permitted slavery to exist, but the laws did not prevent Kentucky slave owners from having the right to come to Ohio. And if they could find fugitive slaves, they had the legal right to capture them and take them back into slavery. So that's why so many people were trying to reach Canada. We'll talk about Rankin House more in a minute, but where has the history of the Underground Railroad through Ohio been preserved? Where is it visible today? Well, there are many places throughout Ohio that are documented as actual stations or sites on what we call the Underground Railroad. And in Ripley, Ohio, we're fortunate to have several. Two of them are museums and two are open to the public, the John Rankin House and the John Parker House. And both have national historic landmark status. And that is the highest designation our federal government can give to a historic site. It means the people who lived there and or the events that took place have significance throughout the United States. Hmm. And two of them are in Ripley. And as you travel through Ohio, Columbus and North, Marietta, Cincinnati, lots of other communities also had people, men and women, black and white, who were working as Underground Railroad conductors. So let's talk about the Rankin House specifically. What's the story behind it? Who was John Rankin? John Rankin was Reverend John Rankin. He was a Presbyterian minister, and he was a Tennessean by birth. And once he and his wife, Jean, married, they decided they did not want to raise their family in a state that permitted slavery. So they left their home state of Tennessee, and he moved to Kentucky and served as a minister there for two or three years. And then we believe he was probably encouraged to move on Hmm. because he was speaking out against slavery from his church pulpit in Kentucky. And so he arrives in Ripley and. January of 1822, he has accepted the call to become the minister of the Presbyterian Church in Ripley, and it's still an active church congregation today. Hmm. And he and his family live in Ripley for 40-plus years. He and his wife, Jean, end up with a large family of 13 children, and the little house they lived in down in town, eventually they certainly outgrew it, so he purchased a 60-plus acre hillside farm overlooking the village of Ripley, the Ohio River, and the Kentucky Hills. And it's from this location that he is best known. And as his nine sons become teenagers, they are the ones doing the physical work of moving fugitive slaves from the Ripley locations north to other locations in Brown County. And then eventually they are moved by other conductors on to Canada. Of course, secrecy was paramount when it came to the Underground Railroad. To participate in it would be a polarizing act. It could generate quite a bit of animosity from your neighbors. Was there a point after the Civil War at which Rankin's contributions to the Underground Railroad became public? And if so, how were those perceived? Rankin, he was a cautious, careful man by all accounts. And that's why he and his family were successful As Rankin was an older man, he wrote his autobiography, and in it he tells us that over about a 40-year period, he and his family aided roughly 2,000 fugitive slaves that passed through their farm setting, their home. Wow. And he also wrote, I never lost a passenger, meaning fugitives in the care of the Rankin family were never caught by their owners or bounty hunters and taken back into slavery. But everyone knew how Reverend Rankin and his family 
felt about the slavery issue because he was speaking out against slavery from his church pulpit. He was writing anti-slavery material that was being printed and distributed, and so it was no secret how Reverend John Rankin felt. His belief was that you cannot own another human being, Hmm. and he really spent a lifetime trying to put an end to the issue of slavery. What is preserved in the house? If someone visits the Rankin house today, what might they see? Reverend John Rankin's historic house was completed in 1829, and it's a small brick home. It's a story and a half house. And about four years ago, the Ohio History Connection, which owns the site, did a major restoration, and a lot of research went into this. And the house is much more accurate today than it has been in the past. Hmm. One of the wonderful finds that we discovered during the restoration work was remnants of original stenciling on walls in two of the rooms at the Rankin House. So we were able to recreate that on the walls. The house is much more reflective of how the Rankins observed it when they were living in this hillside home overlooking the Ohio River. As far as actual items from the family, we do not have many actual Rankin items because just like all of us today, when the Rankins left Ripley in 1866, they took all of their possessions with them. But what you'll find in Rankin House today are authentic antiques of the period when the Rankins were very active and regarding two of the that ties in that period of time, late 1830s to early 1850s, ties into the period of time, two of the major stories that we tell our visitors at Rankin House. And one is the story of the character who became Eliza in Harriet Beecher Stowe's famous book, Uncle Tom's Cabin, Mm -hmm. and the relationship between the Beecher family and the Rankin family. And the other one is about a gunfight battle that took place between some of the Rankin sons and Kentucky bounty hunters who were trying to burn down one of the Rankin barns. I read a reference to the relationship between Rankin House and Uncle Tom's Cabin. Could you talk more about what that is? Yes. When Harriet Beecher came to Cincinnati, it was with her family. Her father, Lyman Beecher, came to Cincinnati to be president of Lane Theological Seminary, and they were educating men to become ministers. The Beechers are Presbyterian by faith, so are the Rankins. Some of the Rankin sons even attend Lane Theological Seminary. And so the Rankins visit the Beechers, the Beechers visit the Rankins, and apparently the Rankins feel comfortable enough sharing some of their secrets of stories of helping fugitives in their escape. One of them is of a young slave woman who has learned she's going to be sold away, and although she has several children, she decides to attempt an escape with only her youngest child, someone she can carry in her arms. And this is a wintertime escape. And the, at that time, small, frozen Ohio River was easy to get across. And so she plans her escape, but there's been a thaw, and so the ice doesn't hold her up. She falls into the icy, cold Ohio River. She's wet. Her baby is wet, but she manages to get across and makes her way up the hill to the home of Reverend Rankin, and the Rankins take care of her needs and then move her on as soon as it is safe. So years later, when Harriet is thinking up all of her ideas for what will become this major best-selling novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin, one of her main characters, Eliza, is based on this woman I just told you about. Wow. You mentioned one other thing I wanted to ask about. You said that the Rankins moved on in 1866. Is that timing just coincidental, or with the conclusion of the Civil War, was it time for them to move on away from that location? Right. Of course, during the Civil War, our government freed people who had been enslaved. The Civil War ends in 1865, and I think by 1866, Reverend Rankin feels he has done all he believes God sent him here to do. Mm. And so he moves on to other 
places in Ohio and then eventually in Kansas and then toward the end of his life moves back to Ohio and he serves as a minister in some other churches. That's great. To wrap up, from your perspective, why is this an important aspect of our history for Americans to actively recall and engage with today? The story of the Underground Railroad and of men and women, black and white, helping other people achieve freedom, it's as current today as it was really back in the time of Christ Mm. because modern slavery still exists all over the world It exists here in the United States. And so this is a story that needs to be told. It's a story of humanity, of kindness, of right over wrong, and it's relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And certainly as relevant as it was during this period of time that we call the Underground Railroad. Well, thanks for taking care of that site, Betty, and thanks for speaking with me as well. You're very welcome. This is the last episode of Sea to Shining Sea for a while. I'm recording this in mid-February 2020, and I'm just about to head back out on the American Discovery Trail, all the way out to Cape Henlopen, Delaware. This time around, I'll follow the ADT as far west as western Nebraska, at which point I'll split off onto the historic Oregon Trail, which I will then follow all the way home to Portland, and then onward to the Oregon coast. If you'd like to follow along, you can find me in a few places. I'll post written accounts on my personal blog at davewitson.com, W-H-I-T-S-O-N. I'll also post pictures on Instagram and Facebook. Look for Dave X USA. Last time around, I was able to post almost daily, though this time I anticipate some longer stretches without reception. Nonetheless, I hope to be sharing a lot from the road. And at some point, once that's all over, I'll be back here to continue my state-by-state progression across the ADT in podcast form. I hope you'll rejoin me at that point. That's all for this episode. Thanks to Don Burrell for speaking with me. You can find him on the ADT's website, discoverytrail.org. Go to the state page for Ohio and Kentucky. Thanks as well to Byron Guy. You can reach him at oldmanscave at buckeytrail.org. Be sure to reach out to both men for practical advice if you're headed to Ohio. Finally, thank you to Betty Campbell. And consider making that detour out to Ripley to visit the Rankin House, among other historical sites. I'm going to give it a go, and I'll let you know what, what it's like. You can find Sea to Shining Sea on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Podcasts, and on my personal site, davewitson.com. Thanks as always for listening.